everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, uh, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. One of those big ideas that we've talked about frequently here on SALT Talks is digital assets, Web3, and blockchain. We're very excited today to bring you the latest episode of the SALT Crypto Show, which is presented by FTX. And our guest today is Ben Sparango from Solana Labs. Uh, ben is the head of business development at Solana Labs, where he oversees five core verticals within the Solana, uh, Solana ecosystem. And those are DeFi, NFTs, payments, gaming, and DAOs. Uh, prior to Solana Labs, Ben was an investment analyst at Multicoin Capital, which is a multi-strat crypto hedge fund uh, that was also an early backer of Solana. I wonder if those two things are a coincidence or not, but Ben, <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, I'm going to dive right into your background a little bit, which is where we like to start to frame for people how you got interested in this world. So tell us more about how you grew up, what you studied in school and what led you ultimately into crypto first at Multicoin and some other places before that. But then ultimately, how did you gravitate towards working on a layer one protocol ecosystem? Sure. Um, thanks for having me, John. Um, so I studied mechanical engineering in college. Um, I wasn't really interested in that particular uh, category of engineering. It was more I was told that was the most general engineering and I did get exposed to a lot of things while I was in school. So um, it, it worked out for me. It did, it did expose me to the right things. And the things that I was most interested in in college were a lot of the extracurriculars that I was doing with the entrepreneurship clubs and the startup community that we had at school. Um, so I was really, I tried to start my own business while I was in school, ended up getting it to the point where I probably could have raised for it, but I wasn't super excited about the idea. So I left and went to work for some startups um, out of school just to like get that that uh, industry experience and uh, start working for a company and you know kickstarting my career. But that was 2017, and that was the year that crypto really got exciting for the for the first time. And I was intrigued enough uh, actually. After uh, I, I came to the Salt Conference in 2016, um, where on an invite from Anthony, me and my dad came out, and there was a side track there where the Winklevoss twins were speaking about Bitcoin and blockchain. And I actually got the chance to chat with them after the their talk, and they were more than happy to answer a few of my questions about about Bitcoin, and which kind of like kicked me down this path where I started researching it on my own. Um, and I got to the point where Bitcoin and the the idea behind it really clicked for me. And I was just frankly obsessed at that point. I, I was researching it every night when I got home from work and on the weekends, like my friends would be going out and I would go to a coffee shop and write blog posts about crypto. Um, so I got to the point where I was like, I just need to do this full time. So I ended up quitting my, my job and uh, I worked my way into consensus um, where I just did kind of like odd jobs, marketing, something to put on my, my resume uh, while at the same time building my own personal portfolio of blog posts, uh, my Twitter followers, just to show people that I knew what I was talking about. Um, I eventually leveraged that into my role at, at Multicoin. Um, where I joined in late 2018 as an investment analyst. And that was really the point where um, I got the relevant experience that I needed 
uh, I worked there for two years. I got exposed to the venture side of crypto as well as the, the public market side because we had a, a actively managed hedge fund and also a venture fund. Um, but at the same time, I got to work with a lot of our portfolio companies. One of those portfolio companies was uh, Solana. Um, and when I was looking to leave Multicoin in 2020, I really wanted to get back to the project side and the operations side. And they were like, frankly, we'd, we'd love to keep you in our inner circle of our portfolio companies. And a lot of our portfolio companies need someone with the experience that you've gotten over the last couple of years. Um, so I, I really, I really hit it off with, with Raj and Anatoly after speaking to them when I was looking for that job and, uh, joined in, in 2020 and the rest is history. That's an amazing story. It's all come full circle too, where you, you came, got exposed to crypto at salt, which at the time, you know, salt was a traditional hedge fund investment conference. A lot of the people in the crowd were looking at the Winklevoss twins, like, what the hell are these two guys talking about? You know, they, they, uh, you know, ended up getting pushed out of Facebook, and now they're they're trumpeting this uh, this quack uh, fake currency called Bitcoin. And then uh, you know, look where we are now with yeah. uh, digital assets taking over a significant portion of the Salt Conference, as well as Skybridge, the asset manager, investing in the Multicoin, uh, which is where you ended up. It was uh, the path that took you to Solana. We're also investors in Solana in a couple of our funds. So again, all has come full circle. When you were looking, you know, at getting back into the project side and into the building side of things again, and you were looking at places to go, you talked about hitting it off with Raj and Anatoly. But what specifically about Solana, as you dug into the protocol, got you excited about building on Solana? Yeah. So my entire career to that point had all been Ethereum based. Like up until that point, it was. Bitcoin as store of value, and it was Ethereum if you wanted application layer Web3. Um, and it got to the point where people realized that Ethereum had some issues that needed to be worked out. And some people believe that you know it's fundamentally flawed and you need to take an entirely different approach to scaling blockchains. Um, and when I was looking at my options, Solana is really the only one that is taking a very differentiated approach from Ethereum and some of these other competitors. Some of these other competitors like Polygon and Avalanche that I looked at are, are basically uh, taking the Ethereum code and making slight optimizations to make it uh, more efficient in the short term, but they're not fixing the underlying issue, which is that the Ethereum virtual machine, basically the, the computation engine of, of Ethereum, uh, likely has a, a throughput ceiling where you hit a certain level of users and you you kind of max out and fees increase exponentially. So the 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 thing that attracted me to Solana is Solana doesn't have that theoretical ceiling. Um, the way that Solana is architected, it's designed to parallelize some of the transaction so that as compute power gets better and better, as it has with Moore's law for the last 40, 50 years, the computational capacity of the Solana blockchain should increase linearly with that. So there's no theoretical ceiling that Solana hits in the future where we have too many users and fees increase exponentially or, or you know, the, the, the blockchain just gets completely bloated. Um, so th that was a really novel approach to me. And I thought it was it was worthwhile taking a bet on on that approach. And sort of Ethereum maxis or you know people that think Ethereum will continue to eat the entire DeFi app pie would argue there's trade-offs between you know things like gas fees that prioritize transactions on the chain for the sake of reducing congestion and people on the Solana side who think that we need more speed, efficiency, things like that. But there have been instances where the network has gone down due to congestion. 
How do you balance those two things and build a chain that can do what Solana does, speed, efficiency, uh, you know, cost efficiency, uh, while also uh, being solid and, and avoiding outages? Absolutely. Um, so ultimately, I, I, I liken these problems that we're trying to solve here to um, uh, it, trying to build the plane while you're flying it. Um, so for better or for worse, crypto is a, a test in production, um, a test in production market. So what I mean by that is in order for you to find the flaws and the bugs and what you've created, you need to put it out there and you need to get people to start using it. And ultimately what that means is uh, in, in comparison to Ethereum, Ethereum has been around and live on mainnet for about five years. Solana is just passing two years. So while we're taking this entirely different approach to scaling blockchains, there's ultimately going to be hiccups and bugs along the way that we're going to have to fix. Um, so that's what you're seeing in, in resulting in like some of these outages or network congestion. Um, but ultimately, uh, like what everybody is working on in the layer one space is ultimately positive sum in my mind. I think that Solana is standing on the shoulders of Ethereum and everything that's been built in that ecosystem. And it wouldn't be possible without the learnings that they've had. And at the same time, there are probably others that are taking notes on what's happening on Solana today to tweak their own applications and things that are being built. Um, so ultimately, I think it's positive sum for the crypto ecosystem as a whole. And over time, these bugs are just going to get fewer and fewer as we figure out where the inefficiencies are and how we can ameliorate them. One of the things that's so impressive to me about Solana is the robust community of developers and users that you guys have been able to develop on the chain, uh, in part due to your efforts as head of business development across those core verticals. You know, whenever you look on social media or anywhere, there's a hacker house that Solana is hosting. Uh, there's new apps that are being built on top of Solana. A lot of these killer apps that are onboarding mainstream users into crypto are happening on Solana because of some of the differentiators that we talked about before, speed, efficiency, things of that nature. What have you guys done that's unique to some of the other chains that are out there that might have decent tech, but have struggled to uh, build this community building on the chain? You know, what have you guys done that's unique? How have you been able to create that really strong community on Solana? Yeah, well, first and foremost, the Solana blockchain has expanded the design space for what people think are possible to be built on blockchain rails. Up until this point, you know, it wasn't feasible to build um, a an NFT mint of 10,000 NFTs because the minting fees were just so high or a game that's entirely on chain because it was impossible to force all of your users to pay transaction fees every time they wanted to do a simple action. Um, so one thing that has kind of invigorated the Solana ecosystem is that people feel like there's a new frontier of, of design space that they have in Web3 on building on Solana. And there's kind of this intense land grab going on right now where a lot of people are entering the space and trying to compete for these, these new uh, blue chip applications in each of the, the, the verticals that we're focusing on in, um, in the business development sector. Um, so that's one in particular. Another one is that Solana is Rust-based where other... Uh, leading uh, layer ones are solidity based. So that's kind of a barrier to entry for a lot of developers where Rust is applicable to Web2 application building. Uh, solidity is only applicable to Ethereum. So if people want to enter the space, they need to learn an entirely new uh, coding language. But in the Solana ecosystem, people can take their, their learnings from their job at Facebook, Google, Twitter, 
um, where they know Rust and apply that immediately to the Solana stack, which has allowed us to kind of streamline people into the Solana ecosystem where it's not as easy to add them to another ecosystem. And uh, I think the, the third and final point is uh, Raj Anatoly and like the founding team ha have really instilled a quality ethos into the ecosystem where, you know, there's no adversarial nature to the ecosystem. Everybody is interested in helping each other. Um, it's a, it's very much like a, a very good vibe in the Solana ecosystem. And that has been passed down to each new entrant in the community. And it's very much like help the next person up if they're you know having trouble with their application or they need assistance, you know, the, the next person is in line to, to lend you a helping hand. And that has really helped us like snowball this ecosystem into what it is today. Yeah, no, I would echo all those points and just the vibes that have been created in the Solano eco, Solana ecosystem are, are tremendous. And and that energy is just contagious when you're at a Solana hacker house or, or you're hosting Solana at an event. Let's talk about a few of those verticals that you're in charge of. Those verticals are, are uh, pretty significant verticals, if I'm being honest with you. DeFi, NFTs, payments, gaming, and DAOs, you know, sort of uh, the crux of a lot of building on a lot of these layer one uh, blockchains. But let's start with payments. And, you know, the accusation, there was another editorial, I think, in the Washington Post today that basically said that, Crypto is a solution in search of a problem, meaning, uh, you know, you've seen this proliferation of crypto assets and, you know, apps that are being developed, but they're not necessarily serving any, any real world purpose. I think one of the things that Solana has done well, too, is onboarding those mainstream users and identifying real applications for blockchain te technology to take some of our, our uh, you know, financial system forward. Let's start with payments. And, you know, one of the criticisms you came to this to the space as a Bitcoin enthusiast, I think you're at Benny Bitcoins on Twitter. Um, you know, Bitcoin is the pure store of value asset, as you alluded to earlier. Doesn't necessarily scale in terms of payments, although people like the Lightning Network are working on changing that. But uh, Solana, working with groups like Circle, uh, who are using USDC on Solana Rails for payments, have been able to uh, deliver payment solutions in sort of a widespread manner, at least rolling it out in beta phase and, and demonstrating the fact that it's possible. Could you talk about what you guys are doing on the payment side and the success that you're seeing, whether you think payments are uh, able to expand uh, to cover a broader swath of the population? Sure. Yeah, I think, I think payments in particular is one of the most interesting sectors within Web3 and crypto. Um, it's also one of the most nascent. There's a lot more that still needs to be done. Um, we at Solana Labs built Solana Pay, which is essentially an SDK that merchants can use to easily integrate Solana payments and start receiving Solana payments for their, their business. Um, all you need to do is, is uh, add the SDK to like iPad or your, your phone and uh, integrate it with Phantom Wallet. And you can easily scan QR codes and pay, pay a merchant for you know, a cup of coffee or something like that. Um, the thing that's so interesting about payments is there is a standard fee in, in existing payments rails that people have just seemingly gotten used to, like a 3% credit card fee, which ultimately after uh, millions or billions of transactions is, is uh, extracting a lot of rent from the, the merchant and ultimately the, the consumer on the, on the other side. Um, so something like Solana doesn't have that, that baked in fee. The only fee that you're paying is like a nominal uh fraction of a cent fee for the transaction going through. Um, and I think that ultimately that's going to get removed 
um, by these payments rails on on uh, blockchains, and that that's going to get passed back to the merchants, which is going to put more on their bottom line, and maybe they can pass that back to the consumer in terms of of discounts. Um, there's a there's a still a very long way for us to go because the user experience of crypto in general, let alone crypto payments, is still quite bad. Um, but the more we go down this path, just like we're doing with like the infrastructural layer of Solana. We're finding more bugs. We're finding easier ways to get this into the hands of consumers and make it as easy to use as something like Venmo or PayPal. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of mainstream uh, usage and adoption as well, you know, there's tons of games being built on top of Solana. I think it's another area where Solana really excels. Gaming uh, being one of the main investment theses of several leading uh, crypto investment funds, including FTX Ventures, uh, a relationship that, that we have in common. Uh, with Solana, but uh, you know, you could call it a game, or you could call it something different. Stepin is a recent phenomenon uh, that that people have latched onto, which I think is genius because it's both gamification of exercise, basically gamification of going out and taking steps, which is obviously good for society. Uh, but people are also getting paid to do something that benefits all of us and and ostensibly drives healthcare costs down long term and things like that. Could you talk about? Uh, step in uh, and your guys approach generally to creating gamified experiences uh, that, you know, walk to earn, play to earn, that type of stuff, uh, and, and how broad you think that world can be? Sure. Um, so yeah, just some context on what step in is step in is uh, a mobile application where in order to first play the application, you need to acquire a step in shoe NFT. Um, so these shoes are either uh, walkers or runners, and there's a few different types. But um, basically, you get a walker if you need to. If you usually walk, you get a runner if you usually go for runs, and you you earn based on the speed at which you're walking and the distance that you walk, and it tracks um, where you're walking on your GPS on your phone. Um, you earn a certain amount of tokens for for going on that walk. It's a very slick user experience. It's probably the best mobile user experience that I've seen in Web three and crypto to date. Um, and honestly, I think the most important thing about Stepin is applications like this that are super easy to use um, are eff effectively serve as like these Trojan horses to onboarding more users into crypto. Um, so someone will download the app, you know, they first need to acquire an NFT. In order to do that, they need to figure out how to get some money onto Solana. So they go and use FTX or they go and use a fiat on ramp or something like that. And whether they end up becoming a monthly active user of this application, they've had to go through those steps that have taught them something along the way. And then that might expose them to something else down the line. So Stefan is really important that it's it's really bridging that gap between, you know, who might not be a crypto user today and who could be a crypto user tomorrow. And these things are ultimately going to snowball over the next few years. And as crypto grows and gets more, the user experience gets better. Uh, it's going to just be so much easier for these people to onboard into crypto than it would have been prior if they hadn't been exposed to an application like Steppen. Yeah, and Steppen is just one example. There's there's several games and and play to earn things that have been built on Solana, but just the uh, the speed at which Steppen has scaled has been, I think, eye opening for a lot of people. I think they're up to two to three million monthly active users now. You have you know people's mother in law asking them about Steppen, this thing where you can earn a few hundred dollars, you know, just from walking around like you normally would. And even uh, their run rate is, I think Anatoly uh, tweeted this morning that it exceeds MetaMask revenues now. It's it's crazy how much it's grown. And I think, as you said, serves as a positive sign about uh, you know 
crypto being integrated into real world applications in a very positive way. Um, one thing you touched on as well as NFTs. You know, I think NFTs are one of the first applications of you know DeFi protocols. Ethereum being the dominant uh, blockchain for NFT development, but Solana uh, also resurgent, I would say as well. They had uh, a big initial wave of adoption of Solana NFTs, and I think Solana NFTs are back uh, in focus of mainstream NFT collectors, at least among my observations. Could you give us the lay of land about how you guys have thought about building the NFT ecosystem on Solana and even you know, help our guests talk about some projects they should be paying attention to now that have you excited on, on Solana? Sure. Um, so the NFT infrastructure on Solana really came about through a project called Metaplex, which is essentially the backbone of the NFT ecosystem on Solana. Uh, it is the metadata standard for NFTs on Solana, as well as a open source repo on GitHub where you can simply create NFTs and also create your own marketplace. Um, so the idea behind Metaplex originally was... Uh, it doesn't make sense for brands and athletes and all these people coming into Web3 to always have to list their NFTs on another person's marketplace. Uh, a lot of people want to own their brand. So the idea behind Metaplex was you can make your own NFT marketplace and white label it to your domain like johndarcy.com um, and sell all of your NFTs. Which I right own, there. by the way. Nobody go out and try to buy that. <laughs> um, so... With, with Metaplex, um, we kind of gave the community this infrastructure that was cheaper to use than existing solutions, as well as had additional benefits like this white labeling feature. And it also had built-in royalties. So when you create an NFT on Solana, you can bake in a royalty right there. And anytime it changes hands on a secondary marketplace, the original creator gets uh, a, a payment um, directly into their wallet without any sort of intermediary. To make it even easier than that, there's a project on top of Metaplex called Olaplex, which is entirely no-code interface for making a NFT marketplace. So you can simply go to Olaplex, upload images, mint your NFTs, and, and create your own Olaplex storefront. Um, so it really makes it super easy for any creator to come in and sell NFTs and monetize their art and do whatever they they please with it. One of the examples that I absolutely love about what Metaplex and Olaplex have been able to give rise to is um, there is an NFT project on Solana called Belugies, uh, where it is it was created by a 14-year-old girl who uh, sold a bunch of hand-drawn NFTs of beluga whales uh, and then ended up raising a million dollars for uh, beluga conservationists and, and donated that. So uh, the infrastructure that they've created here has given rise to things like that, where a 14-year-old a girl with no developer experience can come and raise a million dollars for something that she's excited about. Um, on top of that, there, uh, there are other layers of the NFT stack on Solana that are super important. One of them in particular is Magic Eden, which is essentially the largest NFT marketplace on Solana right now, doing millions of dollars in sales volume on a daily basis. Um, and then the final layer of the NFT stack, <clears throat> at least existing right now, is the projects themselves. Um, they're constantly referred to as blue chips. Uh, the Ethereum ecosystem has things like CryptoPunks and uh, Bored Apes. Uh, the blue chips on Solana right now, at least in my opinion, and in terms of uh, volume and uh, price on 
some of the websites where you can check it out, like SolanaFloor.com or Hyperspace.art uh, or Solana Monkey Business, uh, the Degenerate Ape Academy, OK Bears, and D Gods. Uh, those are those are probably the, the top four in my mind right now. All right. I'll have to go refresh myself. I own uh, several Solana NFTs, uh, just for the record, but uh, I got to go catch on some of these newer projects that are being built on Solana. But let's talk about, yeah, I just want to give you an open forum. We didn't touch on two verticals that you covered, DAOs and DeFi. If there's anything uh, you'd like to talk about, I mean, DAOs are fascinating. We've seen all kinds of different DAOs spun up recently. And you know, as we are launching a, a crypto venture fund, we've explored DAO structures uh, as well, which you've seen some some investment DAOs pop up, but could you talk about how uh, how you guys are looking to you know build your DAO ecosystem on Solana? Sure. So we at Solana Labs have built uh, these reference implementations, which are basically like um, blank slates for people to come and just do with these tools as they please. Uh, we kind of did that with the NFT ecosystem, and now we're doing that with a project called Realms uh, in the DAO space. Um, so Realms is basically an easy to use interface where you can just come and spin up a, a DAO for whatever purpose that you want. You self-select if you want it to be like uh, an investment DAO, if it's going to be uh, an NFT community DAO where you're going to be managing a treasury, whatever you need to, to do with it. We're just trying to provide the infrastructure to allow the end user and the creator to do with it as they please, because we think that there are super interesting applications as it relates to DAOs, as we saw in the past year with things like Constitution DAO and some of these NFT DAOs or community DAOs that have grown to millions of dollars of AUM and now are doing really interesting stuff like uh, one of the NFTs on Solana, the, the D-Gods, who I just mentioned, actually bought a big three basketball team recently, the uh, the Ice, Ice Cube uh, League, um, where he has a bunch of old NBA players. Uh, they bought one of those teams recently. So I think that giving these end users the design space that we have with DAOs is going to be super interesting, especially on Solana, where things are much cheaper to use than it would be on other platforms. Um, and I'm really excited to see what, what what things people can iterate with over the next few years. I want to move on to a conversation about markets. And you know, before we talk about markets, one of the things I admire about Solana, and we had Anatoly on Salt Talks last year, and we talked about this, you know, Solana obviously uh, has been extremely strong in terms of a, a non-Ethereum uh, DeFi protocol. Um, as as most crypto assets over the last few months has experienced volatility, but the focus at Solana is not so much or not at all on the token price. It's about you know when they launched the project, they they got the tokenomics right, and then it's been a focus on building, uh, which you helped spearhead. You know, has had a business development across five core verticals. But you know, you also are an observer of crypto markets generally, so this doesn't have to necessarily be a commentary on Solana, but about Bitcoin, but about Ethereum, but the entire ecosystem is. You know, we have seen volatility and, and weakness in crypto markets over the last uh, several months, some of that coinciding with a rising interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve. So some of it's macro driven. We've seen incidents like the, the Terra Luna uh, collapse uh, that's led to, you know, maybe uh, a drop in trust among mainstream users of crypto. But could you talk in general about what you assign as the main reasons for the recent weakness in crypto and where do you think we are uh, in the cycle long term? 
Yeah. So uh, I can't speculate on on short term uh, price movements. And you're right, especially the macro environment right now with Fed and, and things going on overseas. Um, there's a there's a lot of headwinds right now that are probably forcing people to go risk off. So that's definitely a part of it. But at the same time, I, I constantly refer back to uh, Chris Dixon's fantastic blog post about the uh, crypto price innovation cycle. Um, so what Chris theorizes in that blog post is that crypto goes through these cycles where price leads innovation. So the price will increase um, for whatever reason, because people are getting excited about crypto again, or they've gotten excited about the recent um, applications that have been launched. Price goes up. This drags more people into the ecosystem, more, more builders, more users. Um, the, the price eventually reaches a, a breaking point where it's way overheated and people are like, ultimately, you know, what's been built here is not as exciting as I thought it was. And, you know, people take some money off the table and it comes down and goes into the trough of this cycle. But when it goes into the trough of these cycles, all those people who came in as users or builders in the previous cycle, not all of them are leaving. Maybe like 75% of them or 70% of them are leaving, but 30% are staying and are building the next generation of applications that get people excited next time this happens. <clears throat> so I got to experience that firsthand when I was working at Multicoin. Uh, I joined Multicoin in like the depths of the bear market in 2018. Nobody was interested in crypto. Everyone was like, this thing's over. You know, it was just like a hype cycle bubble. Um, but in 2018 and 2019, it gave rise to some of the, the, the blue chip DeFi protocols that you have today on Ethereum, like Uniswap and Compound. And when those things really hit scale and they were like very easy to use and, and had tons, billions of dollars of liquidity and were useful applications for the ecosystem, people got excited about it again. And then that kind of gave rise to DeFi summer in, in 2020 and things snowballed from there. So I, I've seen it firsthand and, and I, I'm pretty confident that Chris is correct in this, this theory that this is how crypto cycles work. Um, and I think we're just entering another period of people need to get back to building. There's a lot of inefficiencies. There's a lot of problems that we've just run into with the recent hype cycle. Uh, let's fix those problems. Let's build new applications and let's make something useful by the time that people get excited about it again. Yeah, the, the point that a lot of long-term crypto investors have made is similar to the one Chris Dixon made, which is that most of the best building comes during bear markets. And so I think a lot of people in crypto, you know, excited to get back uh, you know, in front of the computer building again, as opposed to being a part of the hype cycle that you mentioned. So excited to see uh, all the different applications that are born out of this period uh, where people probably had their heads down a little bit more uh, and, and less focused on, on the froth of, of price. But um, Talking about the fallout from some of the recent incidents, Terra being being a high profile one, but not commenting directly on that situation, but more about what the implications of that are. You know, you are seeing regulators take that situation as a sort of pretext to more aggressively potentially regulate crypto. Uh, you've seen some potential mainstream users of crypto maybe uh, become a little bit more nervous about entering the ecosystem as a result of you know what was a historic unwinding of value over the course of just a few days. But what do you think the longer term fallout from that situation will be? Do you think it'll be more of a short term uh, impediment? Uh, you know, people have short memories and, and people will, uh, as regulation improves and, and trust improves on these systems that, that people will get over it? Or what do you think the, the fallout is going to be from that? Uh, as it relates to the users, I think it will be relatively quick. Um, from my experience, uh, especially in crypto, people have 
relatively short memories um, where they get excited about things again and start to get a little more risky uh, next time things like these these roll around. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, we shouldn't be taking note of it because it, it was like you said, it was a historic unwinding and people need to be aware of the risks that they're entering in when dealing with, you know, uh, some of these applications that they, they might not understand the under underpinnings of, of what they're doing here. Um, so I think in that respect, um, people are going to be a little more cautious. Uh, I also think this is going to give rise to, uh, more people leaning on uh, projects like Gauntlet or on Solana, Soteria, things that have been run through the gambit of, is this protocol secure? Um, what are the fail cases? And what do I need to be worried about in terms of risk when I'm putting my money into some of these protocols? Um, as it comes to regulation, I, I honestly don't think it's going to be as bad as it could have been. Um, the work that some of the people in crypto have done over the last couple of years with regulators, some of the leaders like SBF from FTX or Brian Brooks, and some of these folks who go and sit in front of the regulatory committees at Congress have done an awesome job educating the regulators on how all of these things work. And I was actually very happy to see the sentiment from congressmen and congresswomen after the Terra collapse that they knew the distinction between an algorithmic stablecoin and a fully backed stablecoin like USDC or USDT. So I was initially worried that they would overregulate just due to a lack of misunderstanding. But thanks to the help of Sam and all those people that I mentioned, um, I think that there's going to be much more intelligent regulation and it's not going to stifle the industry as much as it could have. Yeah, I think and we did a survey on this during Crypto Bahamas, uh, our conference that we did in collaboration with FTX uh, several weeks ago. And people are welcoming uh, regulation. To your point, you know, as long as as long as the regulation makes sense, you know, we're out not out here to stifle innovation, but we should have certain boundaries that are erected to protect um, consumers in some way. There's some purists that say that it's caveat emptor that people should be responsible for doing their own research, and any fallout is is their own fault, but. I think there's a happy medium there that that I know people like Sam, like Jeremy Allaire at Circle, uh, like people like Brian Brooks have testified in front of Congress. And to your point, the work behind the scenes, the education that's taking place uh, among members of Congress and even members of the regulatory community that are still learning about this space, it seems very positive directionally in terms of where things are moving. Um, let's talk about institutions. And institutions is a word that's thrown around. You know, institutions, some people take that to mean uh, hedge funds private equity firms, uh, also large asset allocators like sovereign wealth funds or pensions or endowments or things like that. But it, let's make it a catch-all term for all you know, large traditional finance institutions and asset allocators. I think you know, what we've found in our conversations and at SALT and at SkyBridge, we try to act as somewhat of a bridge, no pun intended, between those two worlds of DeFi and traditional finance. Uh, but, you know, they're looking at different protocols for building applications uh, and things like that and evaluating which layer ones make the most sense based on things like environmental footprint, based on speed, based on cost, cost efficiency. And those are things that Solana obviously does fairly well. What are your conversations like at Solana with institutions uh, that are looking to partner with layer one protocols? Yeah, so we at Solana Labs, we actually don't. 
uh, interface directly with like these types of institutions. We kind of lean on the community to have a lot of these conversations for us. So people like uh, Serum or some of these other applications on the Solana blockchain that are looking to increase the, the the value locked in their protocol or the trading volume, it's it's kind of left on them. We're really just like the the infrastructure provider. Um, but as it comes to getting these people into the ecosystem, I think that um, ultimately a lot of these institutions are focused on what what is what is the benefit to them in terms of yield? Uh, what is the risk that they need that they're taking here? Um, both technically and like you said, like uh, from a public relations perspective, like when it comes to the environment um, and uh ultimately like you know how easy the the user experience is i think that people will be attracted to solana in particular because of the the quickness and the low fees i think it's it's much more akin to what people are used to in a web2 environment um than something like ethereum or elsewhere would would be um and i think that once people get onto solana and they start using it it's just it's very hard to go to somewhere else where the user experience is not as slick. Um, and I think that over time, as liquidity builds up on top of Solana, it's going to get more and more useful. Um, one really interesting product that I'm tracking right now is uh, on Ethereum uh, Compound Treasury, where they're allowing institutions and other uh, asset allocators to deposit fiat, have that fiat converted into a stablecoin, and then that stablecoin get deposited into compound where they're earning like a four to five percent yield, where that, that's effectively like the risk-free rate in, in crypto. Um, and in comparison to other yields that you can get right now, that's you know two, two, three, four X what what you're what you're finding elsewhere. Um, and they actually even they even just got a credit rating from uh uh I believe it was SP. So um that's something that I'm really interested in, and I would love to basically replicate something like that on on Solana, um, but with the benefits of the architecture that Solana has to offer. No, I, I agree. It's a fascinating project. You know, I, I've had friends over the course of the last several years, of, as I've gotten deeper into crypto, that come to me with these amazing APRs, right? They're saying, wow, you know, you can get 80% APR on this platform. You get 40% here. Obviously, uh, with Terra, people are staking... Um, UST for 20% on Anchor. And mm -hmm. you know, you look at those and you're saying, okay, you know, as long as the, the ecosystem continues to grow, those will be fine. I always shied away from those, you know, being somebody with a finance background, knowing that uh, not particularly sustainable. But the idea of creating that um, that base rate for uh for staking um, and yield on on protocols is fascinating. It'll be interesting to see it play out. Um we've talked a lot about. US-based, and we look at things, you and I both live, you live in Philadelphia, I live in the New York area, through a American lens. You know, you guys do hacker houses around the world, so you're not exclusively focused on the US, but I think, you know, a lot of people in this country focus on things through an American lens. But outside of the United States, there's obviously significant use case for not just Bitcoin as a store of value against a basket of currencies that are a lot more volatile than the US dollar, even though the US dollar has been somewhat volatile recently as well. Um, and also about banking the unbanked, things of that nature. How do you guys look around the world at both uh, established markets as well as developing and emerging markets about uh, how to build on top of Solana in ways that enfranchise people around the world? Yeah, so 
ultimately the infrastructure that Solana is providing is is meant to be this this open source tool that uh, can give people access to you know financial services where they might not have access to in their local jurisdiction. Um, and like you mentioned, we are doing that with the hacker houses where we're traveling to places all over the world where we're pulling in builders from. Uh, from Europe, from uh, Eastern Europe, Asia, all over the place to make sure that people are building infrastructure because uh, crypto is very regional, even though in the long tail, I think it's going to be very global. But in the short term, it is still very regional. Like, you know, a lot of the people who are building applications in the United States are building them for U.S. users. And a lot of people who are building applications in China or in Singapore are building them for the Asian user base. Um, and it's really important to extend across borders and make sure that you're pulling in developers and builders from all corners of the earth um, to make sure that it's useful for a global population and not just, you know, the, the majority developed world. Um, but uh, there's there's a, there's a lot of hurdles that we still need to to get over. And, you know, a lot of people just you know parrot this and say that crypto is still in the early days. We're in the 90s as compared to the the Internet. But um, there's a lot that needs to be built in order for these financial services and uh, other applications to proliferate and grow beyond like, you know, just hobby usage. Uh, and one of those things that's super important that, you know, we've touched on a little bit here is, is just general like compliance and, and reporting standards. Um, governments all over the world, doesn't matter what government you are, they're going to want to know what they're uh, what people are you doing with crypto and, you know, they need to have proper reporting measures so that, you know, they can get their, their fair share of you know the economic value that's being created here. So I'm particularly really interested in like the identity layer of what's going on right now uh, in, in web three across all layer one platforms. And something that we're focusing on really heavily is like, how do we create an identity layer so that like people can use these in, in trust that, um, they, they, they have the ability to report it back to their government, whatever they're doing with it. And the government feels uh, comfortable with, you know, the people who are partaking in these, these applications. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm really excited for just the frontier that, that, that we're building here. Um, and there's still a lot to, uh, a lot to do. Well, Ben, it's been a pleasure having you on. I'm heading out to Davos in a couple hours right after we tape this conversation. So I'll have a conversation with the powers that be about creating a unified front and a unified set of standards so that we can uh, you know, not not uh, question how all of our activities uh, within Web3 are going to be regulated in different different jurisdictions. But it's been a pleasure to have you on. Uh, it's it's awesome to hear that story of, of you being introduced to crypto uh, at the SALT conference and then going above and beyond any of us that work at SkyBridge or SALT in terms of what you've built uh, both at, at Multicoin and now at Solana uh, within Web3. So congratulations on all that growth and pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you, John. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's SALT Talk with Ben Sparango, Head of Business Development at Solana Labs. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this talk or any of our previous SALT Talks, including the one we had last year uh, with Anatoly, uh, one of the co-founders of Solana, you can go to our website at salt.org backslash talks or our YouTube channel, which is called SALT Tube, or anywhere where you consume podcasts. Uh, you can go on and listen to any of these past episodes in audio form only as well. A reminder, we're on social media. Twitter is where we're most active at Salt Conference, but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. Uh, and please spread the word about these Salt Talks. Just like the Salt Conference provided uh, young Ben an intro into Web3, 
We hope to do more of that with our conferences and these SALT Talks going forward. Um, but on behalf of the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.